Section three of The Black Cat, Volume two, number six, March eighteen ninety seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Greg Giordano. The Black Cat, Volume two, number six, March. 1897 section 3 the parchment slave by a m barnes at about nine o'clock on the morning of june nine eighteen thirteen a man hurriedly entered the office of barsdale and blincup councillors at law meeting lane charleston he was young tall and dressed in the uniform of the american army from both face and manner it was evident that he was in great haste he asked first for mr barsdale then for mr blinkup both were out the only other occupant of the room besides the serving boy who had answered the questions was a man busily writing at a desk near one of the windows a headless man he seemed at first so high were his shoulders raised but a nearer view discovered a crown rather sparsely covered with frowsy hair of a light brown color as he threw back his head on the hurried approach of the intruder his face showed with a startling pallor but his eyes were bright and quick and in an instant he was on his feet neither mr barsdale nor mr blinkup are in he said in answer to the question this time put to him but mr barsdale will be in the course of an hour or so while speaking the clerk leaned over the desk and in an absent-minded way added the last three words to a line he had been on the point of completing as the visitor entered that will be entirely too late for my purpose said the stranger with considerable annoyance i am a soldier as you doubtless observe a seaman my orders now take me into active engagement my vessel the decatur will sail within three-quarters of an hour what i want done must be done at once the clerk began to nibble at the feathered end of his quill and placing it so that he could thus reach it with his lips he left a considerable spot of ink upon his nose but of this he did not seem to be in the least aware well he said after a moment's reflection and fixing his restless little eyes upon the visitor if your business isn't of a too personal nature perhaps i can attend to it i am ezra snagforth at your service head clerk for barsdale and blinkup and their trusted employee for the past ten years and more this last very proudly have you ever drawn up wills asked the stranger abruptly snagforth surveyed him with a grieved face why that's one of the main things i do here he said well then come you'll find instructions in event of application for the will here handing snagforth a sealed envelope start don't wait a second but i forgot you want the name first well write it as i spell it for you b o i s e anthony boise whatever you do don't write it with a y twenty-three minutes later the last will and testament of anthony boise lay upon the desk of ezra snagforth complete as to its every detail 
and the two young men who had been called in by the latter as witnesses had departed not however without a very warm expression of thanks on the part of mr boise the latter gentleman too seemed on the point of leaving but paused excuse me a moment he said as though upon second thought let me have another look at the paper please with these words he reached out his hand for it and turning his back stood for a moment nervously fingering the sheets at least so snagforth judged for he could hear distinctly the crackling of the paper then mr boise suddenly wheeled about and passing the will to the clerk you will at once lock it up and keep it safely until called for he inquired i must enjoin this upon you he continued my vessel as i have said before goes into immediate action and a man never knows how such things <laughs> will turn out he added with a little nervous laugh oh i hope you'll give the britishers a good thrashing and come back to make many more last wills and testaments said snagforth but give yourself no uneasiness he continued the establishment of barsdale and blinkup knows well how to keep safely such things it has never betrayed a single trust in all the quarter century of its existence mr boise bowed then turned away nervously running his fingers in and out of his pockets as though in great excitement snagforth returned to the desk where the will lay beside the envelope of course he would lock it up safely but first he wanted to finish the piece of writing on which he had been engaged when mr boise entered then he would lock the two up together the will lay on the desk with the last page on top very much as it had lain when mr boise had picked it up and when it received the signatures evidently if mr boise had dictated a line or two more there would not have been room on this page to complete the will as it was his signature a rather bold one had been placed at the lower right-hand edge of the paper opposite to the left the two young men arthur holm and ernest lord had written their names as witnesses underneath the will lay two sheets of blank parchment such as had been used in its writing but the parchment seemed to have remained there long enough to have become partly soiled with the passing back and forth of the arm of the worker at the desk it also presented a rather ragged appearance toward each of its corners it looked as though some one had torn from it little jagged slips perhaps these had been used to wipe the pen snagforth went on writing he seemed to be rather nervous doubtless it was from the long strain of leaning over the desk once in a while he moved the elbow of his right arm upward and outward with a little jerky movement if he had touched the pen to paper at such times it must have left blots to say nothing of zigzag lines but it was probable that the pen at such times was off duty he had a nervous way too of moving his lips and in unison the jaw beneath as though literally chewing a cud other than the one of reflection suddenly snagforth's fingers went out towards the will possibly it had slipped and he desired to place it more securely in position a loud rap sounded upon the inner door of the office snagforth gave a startled jump as though the blow had descended upon him instead of the door then he became motionless with his right hand poised in air halfway between his head and the desk 
as a still louder voice followed the rap snagforth began to move his fingers nervously and to make the effort to get steadily upon his feet he had fully recovered himself and was standing his right hand in his upper vest pocket the other pressed against the desk when this second visitor entered he was a big man in voice in body and according to his own notion in position so no wonder poor snagforth was awed but as his business was decidedly mild there surely was nothing about the visit not even the loud rapping to have caused the clerk to jump in that startled way nowadays however snagforth was growing very susceptible to sudden noises ten minutes later the caller having departed snagforth took the document on which he had been engaged the envelope and the last will and testament of anthony boise and locked them safely away within the stone vault two months later that is two months to the very day startling news was spread far and wide through the city the american vessel the decatur captain Deeren, commander had met and defeated the british warship the dominica it had been a hotly contested engagement with a grand victory for the american though a bloody one for the british captain and all his principal officers had been killed while the decatur too had lost men among the killed and wounded were members of some of the most prominent families in the city and surrounding country first on the list of the dead appeared the name of anthony boise when snagforth saw it a little chill ran through him the poor fellow had more than an idea of it it seems he exclaimed well in the flesh or the spirit whichever it be should he walk in at this moment he would find the last will and testament as he requested in the safe keeping of barsdale and blinkup placed there by their trusted clerk ezra snagforth as though to give more assurance to his words snagforth walked to the vault the outer door being already open and took therefrom a sealed envelope which had been entrusted to him by mr boise before his departure and a couple of sheets of parchment folded in a neat oblong packet across the upper edge of the package was written in snagforth's own painstaking hand the last will and testament of anthony boise esq drawn june nine eighteen thirteen he did not open it there was no need he merely laid it back again fully assured it was still the month of august the blistering day was nearing its close when a lady dressed in deep black appeared in the office of barsdale and blinkup she was frail and delicate looking still young with a face more refined than beautiful she was nervous and evidently excited and showed plainly that she had been crying the serving boy brought her at once to snagforth the little clerk looked sympathetic he had a soft heart a woman in tears always wrenched it to that extent that it was no more than a limp rag in the way of resistance i want to see mr barsdale if you please she said huskily and upon hearing that this gentleman was in but engaged for the present she pleaded so eagerly for an immediate interview that snagforth turned at once toward the inner office a few minutes later he came back 
accompanied by Mr. Barsdale. "'Well, madam,' said that genial gentleman, "'what can I do for you?' She looked up quickly, then as quickly dropped her eyes, while she nervously locked and interlocked her fingers. "'I, I was the wife, and am now the, the widow of Anthony Boise,' she said in a faint, trembling voice. Mr. Barsdale looked perplexed. "'Yes, madam,' he said. "'But will you please tell me who, uh, who you, uh, who Anthony Boise was?' It was the turn now of the woman to look perplexed, and not only perplexed, but absolutely startled. She seemed on the verge, too, of bursting into tears. "'Why, I thought,' she begun, "'that he, uh, that you—' Here Snagforth came to the rescue, with a reminder— that Mr. Boise was the gentleman whose will they had drawn up two months ago. Don't you remember, Major, my telling you all about it? He was killed on the Decatur, he added in a low tone. Oh, yes, oh, yes, now I do, exclaimed Mr. Barsdale quickly, and excusing himself for not having recalled the matter, he continued, And you are the, the widow of Anthony Boise? <clears throat> yes once his wife but now his his widow his visitor replied in a voice that she tried in vain to steady and you have come about the will i suppose yes he wrote me it was here in your keeping so it is so it is and i presume he continued after an instant's hesitation that you have come prepared to establish that you are the right person to whom the will is to be delivered? You say your, uh, that is, Mr. Boise, wrote to you? Have you the letter? Excuse me, madam, he added apologetically. We have to be exceedingly cautious about such things. The face of the woman turned even paler, and she pressed her hand against the desk, where she sat, as though for support. The letter has been destroyed she said in a faint voice. There were other things it contained. And you have no written line of other authority from Mr. Boise? No order whatever that I could obey? From his tone, Mr. Barsdale was evidently growing disturbed. Again a reply in the negative from the woman under catechism. She was crying now, and with unmistakable grief behind her handkerchief. Mr. Barsdale was touched. "'Well, perhaps we may manage it after all,' he said soothingly. "'Don't distress yourself so, I beg, madam. You doubtless have friends in the city who can identify you.' He put this somewhat in the form of an inquiry. She quickly answered him, despite her tears. "'In all the city there is not one person who knows me. At least,' she amended, not sufficiently to make the identification you desire. My home is in another land. Mr. Barsdale was evidently startled by this admission. Ere he could reply, he was interrupted by Snagforth, who had just returned from a short journey to another part of the office. It seems the lady has some trouble to identify herself, said the little clerk briskly. That, Major, isn't necessary, according to the understanding. Mr. Boise left instructions in a sealed envelope, which we were to open, 
when application was made for the will, and being instructed to proceed, Snagforth opened the envelope, drew the folded paper therefrom, read carefully for a few moments, then said, It is all very plain. I am to ask a party who appears to claim will three questions. If the lady is ready. At this the visitor raised her face, still wet with tears, but lighted with the glimmer of a suddenly enkindled hope. Oh, yes, she exclaimed. I remember now. I am ready for the questions. By what name is the person mentioned in the will called by the person who made the will? asked Snagforth. The answer came without a moment's hesitation. My beloved wife, Emily. Where did the person mentioned in the will first meet the person by whom the will was made? Again, the reply came as quickly as before, though this time there was a little catch in the voice. Where magnolias bloomed. And where did they part? Under the cypress. The catch had grown to a sob now, and again the visitor's face was hidden. It is all right, Major. She has passed every test. I am sure you are satisfied now, sir, that the document should be turned over to the lady. Certainly, certainly. Get it, Snagforth. And you will give me a written statement, the lady interrupted, over the signature of your firm, that this is the document executed by my husband and left with you? That I will, madam. I had it so intended before you asked. Then, as he took the will which Snagforth handed him, neatly folded and scrupulously endorsed, he continued, You drew up this document, I believe, Snagforth. You know all the points, and are generally painstaking, so I am sure it is all right. While speaking, Mr. Barsdale had unfolded the document, though in a rather careless way. He wouldn't moon the feelings of so efficient and so faithful a clerk as seeming too critical, yet he felt it safer to give it a glance at least. But look here, man alive, what is this? Why, the paper has no signature, at least not the signature of the one making it. It seems to have had one, though, but it is torn away, and with it a part of the last line of the document. At the very first words of the second sentence, Snagforth had turned suddenly pale. That is, if the pallor of his face could grow one whit more pronounced. By the time Mr. Barsdale had reached his closing words, the little clerk was shivering violently. He caught at the desk. He was assuredly going to fall. Then he recovered himself. Suddenly it was as though a flash of light had come, bringing with it a revelation. He steadied himself against the desk and threw his head up. It was he who did it, he said quickly. Yes, I am almost certain of it. It was he who did it. Yes, it was. Of whom are you speaking? asked Mr. Barsdale. Of the gentleman himself, of Mr. Boise. It just couldn't have been anyone else. No, sir. Under the circumstances, it just couldn't. I thought at first, sir, that it might have been that. All at once he stopped and gazed in a startled manner at Mr. Barsdale. Again, he was trembling visibly. But Mr. Barsdale seemed wholly unconscious of any unusual emotion on the part of his little clerk. Explain yourself, Snagforth, he said. The will had been drawn, the signatures attached, and everything finished. The gentleman, that is, Mr. Boise, was on the point of going. But, 
at the very last moment he asked me to let him see the paper again it was lying on the desk just as it had been when the signatures were placed i reached out for it and handed it to him he at once turned his back and began to fumble with the sheets i heard as plain as plain could be now i come to think of it the sound of paper crackling he must have torn it then well this is a most astounding occurrence declared mr barsdale the idea of a sane man tearing his own signature from the will he had been anxious to make and that too within a few moments after making it if he was anxious to get rid of it why didn't he tear the whole thing up and be done with it then too why give it to us for safe keeping oh what does it all mean cried the poor little woman in black as she hastily arose and approached mr barsdale for the last few minutes she had been sitting and gazing helplessly from one to the other she knew that there was more trouble about the will but what as yet she had been unable to understand it means madam said mr barsdale speaking very slowly and carefully that your that mr boise after making a will tore his signature from it or at least so it appears and the will is thus rendered void she was plainly making a great effort to speak calmly i am afraid so madam without the signature it is of no earthly good oh it cannot be she cried clasping her hands tightly together he could not he would not have done such a thing especially when he knew how much was at stake but the evidence is all there the same my dear lady we cannot go back of that whichever way we look at it the one fact remains the signature has been torn from the will he tried to make his voice as gentle as possible he was sincerely sorry for her then we are ruined she murmured with white lips but if you were his wife madam there will be no trouble when so identified to claim the widow's part in whatever property he may have left but i cannot prove it oh that is the dreadful part we were in a terrible shipwreck we barely escaped with our lives clothing books papers letters the certificate all were lost then to the lawyer's inquiry if there was no one who could help to establish her claim there there is no one the clergyman and the one witness are both dead we shall be penniless i and my precious little ones there are children then yes two both girls the younger is only five really touched by the poor woman's plight the lawyer tried to comfort her by promising to make every effort to clear up this mystery rest assured he said in parting if there is anything that can be done we will do it we may call again in two days meantime we'll summon the two young men who witnessed the will the lady had taken her departure the papers about the desk had been straightened and arranged for the morrow and the little clerk was plodding homeward he had made what amounted to a positive assertion but somehow now he was not assured there were some points about the matter too uncertain to be definitely settled in his mind the more he thought of them the more unsettled he became and paler and more nervous too 
I will go to see Hedgemoth, he said, with sudden resolution. The old bookworm was in his library, the musty volumes piled all around him, his beak-like nose stuck deep into a yellow manuscript. Ah, he said, without looking up, it's you, is it, Snagforth? And he gave him a searching glance. Yes, I see. You are in trouble at last, Snagforth, as I feared. And on account of it, isn't it so? Instead of replying to the question, Snagforth gave him a recital of what had occurred. And what were you doing, Snagforth, all the time the gentleman was standing with the will in his hand? Writing? With it close at hand? Yes, with it close at hand. Right under my arm. Clean and fresh? Clean and fresh. Are you sure now, Snagforth, that the little clerk almost jumped from the chair? Don't! he cried, trembling with excitement. Oh, don't! I couldn't have been. No, no, no! I am sure of it. I have never failed to detect the ink the very minute— A Snagforth? interrupted the old scholar. Hold on a moment. I want you to tell me again everything. Now, mind, don't leave out the slightest point. From the time the gentleman laid the will back on the desk until you locked it up in the safe. Snagforth obeyed. What kind of a rap was that Collins gave? A pretty good thundering one, I am sure, from what I know of him. It was indeed a rap that sounded like thunder. And made you jump? That it did. What were you doing then, Snagforth? Writing. Yes, writing, writing, always writing. I might have known that, Snagforth. Writing and playing slave to it. Oh, Snagforth, when will you quit? Better tobacco or snuff, many times over. Or even the opium pipe occasionally. Heed me, Snagforth. The slave will yet find death at the hands of the master. It is inevitable. No earthly power can prevent it. Hear your old friend, Snagforth, ere it is too late. Something may be done now, but later never. How strange it is! He broke off somewhat impulsively. Only once in a world's generation it occurs. Yet it does occur. And to think it should be your fate, Snagforth. The little clerk was sobbing like a child. Poor fellow, said Hedgemuth soothingly. But go home now, Snagforth. I'll do all I can to fathom the mystery. The next day, as Snagforth was busy at his desk, there were a pair of keen, searching eyes upon him, eyes that watched him from outside a window, but saw all plainly. Not a movement of his escaped them. Once, when Snagforth stopped suddenly at some noise, the thumb and first two fingers of his right hand pressed together, and poised in air, there was a smothered exclamation on the part of the watcher. Hedgemuth, for it was he, now approached the outer door of the office, and stood there a few moments, his eyes still intently regarding Snagforth. The upper part of the door was of glass, thus he could easily see into the room. Suddenly a tremendous rap sounded upon the door. Snagforth almost leaped from his stool, then became motionless, with the fingers of his right hand in air, and within a few inches of his head. The next instant the hand fell to the pocket of his vest, as though by an unconscious movement, and by the time that he had said, Come in, he had apparently recovered himself. 
Hedgemuth advanced. Snagforth, he said in a low voice, run your hand into the upper right-hand pocket of your vest, and give me all that you find there. It will be nothing, said Snagforth confidently. I never use that pocket for anything. Don't you, though? Well, anyhow, run your hand in, and we'll see. Snagforth could not refuse so simple a request. He ran his slender, nervous fingers, as yellow as some of the parchments on which he worked, into the pocket of his vest, and drew forth. What? A half-dozen or more loosely rolled pellets of paper, at which he gazed in sincerest astonishment. Then, a moment later, he began to tremble like an aspen. Give them to me, said Hedgemuth. One two three four of the pellets he unrolled at the fifth one an exclamation escaped him look he said to snagforth directly before the clerk's eyes there gleamed a slip of yellow jagged paper creased and soiled but plainly marked across with a word or two of writing and in a clear bold hand beneath the name anthony boise my god cried snagforth and dropped into a chair. "'Cheer up!' said Hedgemuth. "'It is so much better than I hoped. It did not get to your mouth, you see. I suspected something of the truth, and you so positively asserted that you would have detected the ink.' "'That I should,' declared Snagforth. "'I have not yet put a piece in my mouth that had the least writing on it, that I did not know the fact the moment my tongue touched it, to keep from tearing any other.' especially when i am engaged and apt to be absent-minded i keep this here right under my arm and he pointed to the mutilated sheets of parchment on the desk this is how it happened snagforth the gentleman laid the will down it was right on top of the blank sheets of parchment or it as it has always been referred to between us your thumb and finger in reaching out made a mistake they tore the wrong sheet you had just rolled the slips between your fingers and were on the point of carrying it to your mouth when Collins gave his thundering rap. You were startled, so much so as to jump. Then you became motionless, transfixed, as it were, in the midst of that which had occupied you the instant before. Seeing the visitor, your first thought was of detection. You felt that you must conceal, at all hazards, that which you had been doing. Involuntarily, your hand sought a hiding place what more convenient than the pocket of your vest. You had done this same thing once or twice before, when suddenly startled. "'I am ruined,' said Snagforth. "'Not by this happening,' emphasized Hedgemuth. "'You should be thankful that it was no worse. Here is the slip intact, save for the creasing and the slight soil. It can easily be fitted to the torn parchment. With your testimony and that of the two young men, all can be made straight for the poor lady. And so it was, although in confessing his weakness, Snagforth expected nothing less than instant dismissal. This punishment, however, he was spared. Barsdale was at first amazed, then indignant, but ere the confession was thorough, nothing but sorrow for his old faithful servant filled his breast. He did not discharge him, he could not, but Snagforth never occupied again the old place of full trust. This seemed almost to break his heart, though he knew it was just. 
but he did not have much more to bear of this world's joy or sorrow. In six months' time, the poor parchment-eater had paid the penalty of his slavery. As Hedgemuth had said he would, he was dead. Those who laid him out noticed a strange thing about him. He was exactly the color of parchment. End of Section 3 Read by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida